Welcome to another edition of the Hidden Layer Podcast, where we talk about all the exciting ways marketing, data, and deep learning are colliding. In the age of COVID-19, we're excited to be able to deliver new content to all you folks out there working from home, or hopefully an even nicer place in the countryside. Today, we have Alex Kawada, the Senior Manager of Media and Demand Generation at FanDuel, one of the biggest online sports books and fantasy sports properties in the country. Alex is a MarTech and sports industry expert with a background in conceptual mathematics and math education, which we're excited to get into today. Prior to joining FanDuel, Alex served on the programmatic strategy and optimization team at MediaMath and bounced around the East Coast for the last seven years after growing up in Michigan. He studied mathematics at Wesleyan and came to the MediaMath after teaching high school, high school math actually in Maryland. He's a sports fanatic, and we are looking forward to talking to Alex about sports, advanced math, and marketing today. Welcome, Alex. Thanks a lot for having me. That's a very kind introduction. Glad to be here. Well, I'm excited to talk to you because I know that, you know, FanDuel and sports books, it's all about math. It's all about how you can get those algorithms to work more efficiently. And so I, I wanted to talk a little bit about your role at FanDuel. You know, it seems to be part of that quote-unquote in-housing movement where uh, marketers are taking their programmatic teams in-house. And I would think that at a place like FanDuel, you need to integrate pretty heavily with all the customer data and mathematics to, to make demand generation work well. So could you talk a little bit about your, your role and, and what that entails? Yeah, absolutely. So it's certainly been, you know, I've been there for a couple of years now, but even, even since the time it started, the role has changed greatly in, in, you know, in, in interesting ways. When I started, I kind of came as, as the person to start programmatic for FanDuel. So FanDuel was running some display media and video media, but it was very partnership and, and publisher direct driven, right? So obviously you don't get the efficiencies there. You don't even get basic things a lot of the time, like frequency cap and, and the audience targeting, et cetera, kind of these fundamentals of programmatic were just missing from the media mix. So came in to stand up the program there and it was always going to be brand direct. So we'd never, really considered too much having an agency relationship just because my experience was so kind of in the weeds in the programmatic business that I just felt kind of, you know, as this is my baby and, and as I was standing it up, I wanted to be on that front line. I ended up managing as I think once I got there, everything, all media, digital, except for social and search, which was kind of a surprise to me in terms of, you know, YouTube, Spotify, Pandora, digital billboards, golf carts, and the team in two years has grown from three to 18, which has been awesome. So obviously I, I, my, my role has, you know, become a little bit more strategic and, 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 you know, have, have a couple teams now that I have the, have the privilege of, of overseeing. So it's definitely evolved as our business has evolved, but really what we have stayed true to is being very close to the, to the execution being very open with our partners and trying to share as much data and insights and learnings and connect our analytics team with their analytics teams and kind of treat media and programmatic partners as extensions of our team. And we really do think that we get the most benefits when we, when we set, set up that type of relationship. So talk to me a little bit about the integration of your customer data with how you look at prospecting and or 
getting those getting those customers to place more bets, to play more fantasy sports, et cetera. Yeah, for sure. So FanDuel over the course of its life cycle, which goes back to 2008, the media has largely been about acquiring new customers. And up through, I think, 2015, there was a ton of, you would just call it awareness marketing, largely on TV. I had mentioned a lot of the big, splashy, direct online things. But over the last few years, we've become a little bit more attuned to performance media and thus thinking a lot more about targeting and both from an acquisition and a retention standpoint. So we have our data all centered in a data management platform that we then push our full taxonomy and from our data warehouse, which we have pretty pretty finely segmented and, and we're often making tweaks to it and iterating on it. And then, you know, we just use the DMP to go ahead and push out to a bunch of our our media partners. Um, so I think in terms of the way that we're using first party at this point, a lot of it has been for modeling purposes because we are in the acquisition game. We see it. We actually have been seeing great results from taking a seed audience, just of our most valuable fantasy players, modeling it and then targeting them either in fantasy or sports book. And we've also done a pretty good job with digital cross-sell, right? So taking our best fantasy users, getting a digital creative for a special offer, and then pushing that for sportsbook or casino or racing and making sure that not only through email, but also through paid channels that we're delivering to what we think will be our highest valuable customers, you know, the, the most appealing messaging. So the retention reactivation stuff, a little bit of a work in progress, but definitely it's a huge focus for us is how to better harness that first party customer data through the, through the DMP and some other platforms. So as you talk about modeling and, and that data integration, how are you using AI and machine learning, deep learning, whatever, as a competitive advantage? And how are you using it you know, to improve the results of your prospecting and, and, and retargeting, et cetera? Yeah, so I think, you know, overall, the, the sports book landscape from, from just the advertiser set, at least kind of from our competitive understanding of the landscape, which we think is great. Obviously, there are things that we don't know but we do feel like we certainly do have a leg up just in kind of our digital sophistication compared to the, a lot of the other sports book in terms of how much programmatic spend we have, the, the different types of channels we're running programmatically, the different types of ad tech platforms that we work with. Overall, I would say that the vertical itself is a little bit behind the curve of a lot of e-com in terms of, you know, kind of the cool machine learning and customer data type of applications going on there. A lot of it's affiliate driven, a lot of it's influencer driven. And we're kind of, we feel like we're the leader in the pack in terms of what we're doing, but we don't necessarily feel like we're the leader of the pack overall in terms of, you know, e-com and, and gaming apps. But what we're doing right now is, you know, the, from an AI perspective is, buying through, you know, buying through a couple DSPs, one of them, and we, this is something we're really trying to dive into and figure out if it's a good fit for us is there are demand side platforms that specialize in sports gambling because one could argue the set of variables for us is much different than your standard DSP when it comes to, you know, is it the matchup? Is it the game? Is it the exact hour or minute before a game versus just the day of the week? 
does the sports season have to do with the way that the algorithm or the brain should be actioning? So we're giving that a shot. I think that when it comes to AI and machine learning, we are, we have some, I guess you'd call like AI light or ish processes where we kind of have some robotic automations of, of things we used to do manually. So maybe not really deep learning, but certainly allowing the people on my team to spend their time more strategically and replacing what used to be done by humans by mach with machines. You, you speak about some DSPs that are specific to sports book and sports betting. Can you talk a little bit about that specific challenge because of the legalities of it, the regulations, there's only certain states where you can operate, et cetera. How, how does that how is that different from your experience at MediaMath with other, with other uh, consumer type brands, et cetera? Yeah, I mean, definitely it's different just in, in brand kind of sensitivity position where, you know, all it really takes is one ad being delivered in the wrong environment or to the wrong person, whether it be age or, you know, have they self-excluded themselves from gambling communication? So we really err on the side of caution. And actually, I think that is one reason it is we were a little bit slower to adopt programmatic is because kind of that quote-unquote Wild West connotation that it may have, right? For us, we know it gets efficiencies, but is it worth it getting a tweet saying, hey, FanDuel's showing gambling ads to my 10-year-old, right? We know some things are outside of our control, but... but one thing that definitely is different is making sure that we're focusing kind of on that ad quality even more than I would at a place like Media Math with, you know, other obviously reputable, reputable advertisers who care about their brand image. But, you know, we're, we're, we, because of this, we partner directly with a brand verification company for fraud and brand safety. And we do use some kind of like smart, I guess I would say, kind of like predictive keyword type of blocking to not just get rid of negative stuff, but you know, anything that could be children or anyone who may kind of have a distaste for gambling. So, you know, I think just making sure that we're trying to stay ahead of the curve and, and we're always putting our best efforts forward as we get a little bit more programmatic and, and take our hands off some of the control of where ads are going. We need to make sure that we're using all the technology at our disposal from a safety and targeting standpoint to to make sure that we're not delivering the ads in the wrong place. I would say that's the biggest difference where it's something that you were aware of with other advertisers, but it wasn't just quite that much of a focal point because that legality, that 21 plus aspect, really it doesn't come into play with most advertisers. Yeah, and with that, what, what you know, without giving away secret sauce, what besides the, you know, these are the places we can't go, what, what are some of the interesting learnings that you've had from this very sort of specific audience, the specific target, you know, how to find them, what really works for them, et cetera? Yeah, for sure. So, you know, one thing that, that we've done is, and I, and I had mentioned this, is that we did, because we do have such a niche audience and, you know, the, the, a single customer can end up generating a whole lot of revenue for us. So, you know, we don't necessarily need to acquire customers at you know, a $5 CPA. We can be much more liberal as long as we're finding those, those quality customers. So what we've done is actually partnered a lot with third-party data 
companies, either, you know, just data providers or large brands that have a data offering and basically had a custom brand plus data company relationship. So in the past where we might try to go through a DSP or go through our DMP and see what they have off the shelf, just because it's such a new industry and these, you know, perennial sports gambler can't really exist as a, as an off the shelf segment when it was just legalized in 2018 and it's still illegal in six states. Right. So what we've done is we've taken some of the attributes from our top customers that our data science or analytics team has, has shared it with the analytics and data science people over at data companies and brands and allowed them to create these custom segments that then we iterate on and we test and we've done a good number of these and a couple of them we've ended up making pretty large enterprise agreements because we found it worked and others you know the data set didn't perform quite as well why exactly that is you don't always know sometimes you know the the performance is just a bit better but we definitely have a continual appetite to test data and share data where we can so others can craft segments for us. Because like I said, there's really not that much that is tried and true in, in the vertical. Yeah, we, we found a cognitive that that seed audience, that first party audience is so important. And working directly and integrating directly with the marketer has been very successful for us and the marketer because getting that constant feedback loop that's direct from the CRM, from the DMP, et cetera, has allowed us to create those, those look-like models, uh, scalable audiences, things like that, that are enabling you know, the buying in an efficient way and better prospecting uh, through, through using deep learning to do the consumer uh, behavior prediction, which, which we found is really interesting. It would be really interesting for us to, to we haven't looked at you know, sports and television scheduling and and all those things as a data set, that might be an interesting thing to push into our models to see um, how that affects consumer behavior and what sites people go to and all those kinds of things. So those are, those are some fascinating problems to work on. Yeah, absolutely. So what, uh, all right, so COVID-19, not a lot of sports. So how has, how has COVID affected your day-to-day? this point what what are you guys focusing on these days yeah for sure i mean honestly this this is like the ultimate what the the turn lemons into lemonade cliche like seriously we were all hands on deck march madness everything right imagine you know most of february for us is you know we kind of take a deep breath for like two days after the super bowl and pat ourselves on the back And then we're just like full steam ahead planning for March Madness. Obviously, as soon as that got canceled, you know, there was so much uncertainty. So we did, we did dial back the marketing a lot at the beginning, but what came out of it, honestly, I think are things that will have like lasting value for the company and and for our marketing organization in particular. So a lot of people don't know, but FanDuel also under FanDuel group, there's the fantasy sports, there's the sports betting there's a FanDuel online casino, FanDuel and Betfair Casino, and TVG, which is a horse racing product. So the latter two, the casino and the horse racing product, which don't necessarily get as much day-to-day attention, we ended up turning the vast majority of our attention towards them because they were the two that were still live and active. And so from a marketing perspective, we were able to basically devote more 
resources from a human standpoint, from a budgetary standpoint. And we, we, you know, and then also just because the consumer demand was there because of the, the lack of sports entertainment, we were seeing record setting days on our, in our horse racing business, for example. Right. So something like the Arkansas Derby, which maybe isn't a huge race is outpacing past Kentucky derbies just because of the absence of sports and our ability to kind of position and make sure people are are even aware of our offering there. So turning the, the attention to racing and casino and whether that be cross-selling or prospecting, we did see a lot of success there. And, you know, you kind of want to do it in a in a gentle way, you know, you don't want to say, Hey, you know, you're stuck at home gamble, but you know, you want to offer the product and say, Hey, if you think this is going to be entertaining or fun, give it a shot. And this is something that we still offer despite the fact there are no sports. And we try to make a lot of things free and really inexpensive as well. Given the circumstances, we did a bunch of free fantasy games on those super creative. It's more of our product team did. What was it? The bachelor survivor Biden versus Bernie Sanders, like all these daily fantasy things that were just, you know, no one would have ever stopped and put a bunch of resources towards it. But now when we were forced to pivot, it was pretty cool to see everything that we did. And, you know, both in terms of upselling and getting people into our core other products and then providing some free games. I thought, I thought, you know, people were pretty, were reacted pretty well. And, and I, and I do think the customers were pretty happy. So I was, I was, I was very pleasantly surprised by the reaction we had and also by kind of the business we were able to sustain from our customers. Yeah. I would think that the bachelor and, and all those types of reality competition shows would make good, good content for you guys in the, in the days of no sports. Yeah. What about you though? Sports fanatic, Alex, have you been able to spend any time with sports, South Korean baseball, semi, semi-scheduled soccer slash football in Europe, et cetera? You know, it's funny. I did get a little bit wrapped up into watching streaming table tennis when it was the only thing around. <laughs> and then you could argue that I even regressed further. And in the last maybe six weeks had just gotten absorbed in the world of, I suppose you could say, quote unquote, investing in sports cards, which in itself is this wild micro economy where, you know, LeBron James is the Amazon of stocks. And so, I, I mean, I don't know, my sports fandom is so crazy that like, when there's no sports, I was going to be channeled to something else, ended up being ping pong at first. But yeah, now I'm like all in on baseball cards. And my mom probably thinks it's like the 90s again with what my room looks like, but it's been fun. That's that's amazing, yeah. And I I've given up my baseball card collecting a uh, long time ago, but uh, there was nothing more exciting than getting the whole new season, you know, from tops. You get the whole the whole year. You got every single card. You got the rookie cards, and then you're you're ready to to keep them forever, you know. Yeah, I mean, it's it is it's amazingly refreshing that like you can still open a pack and feel, you know, this kind of excitement that I felt when I was like seven years old when, you know, now everything I consume is mainly digital. So it's been fun. Do I stick as a crazy card collector when things go back to normal? I'm not sure, but it's, it's certainly been a nice distraction. That's great. That's great. 
All right. So what's next? What's next? Uh, sports are starting to come back, especially around the world. You know, COVID's not looking great as of today, July 14th, but what's, uh, what's next for you? Yeah. So as scheduled, the return of sports from, from an American standpoint, right? That's really occurring over the next couple of weeks with, with first baseball, then you've got NBA and NHL. You've got Tiger Woods coming back this weekend, which is a nice little flagship event as well for sports fans. So for us, it's really interesting because with so many months off and with so many other competitors popping up and, you know, a lot of promotions and, and this and that that have, that have made their way in the last few months, we're, we're kind of treating even existing customers as new customers in terms of our aggression and our generosity with offers, trying to make sure that, you know, the customers who enjoyed playing and betting on FanDuel that, you know, were still the best to bet on for them for both product and, and kind of offer and promotion reasons. So, you know, obviously we'll have to pivot like we did again, if, if the sports season gets, gets derailed, but right now, you know, for us, the beginning of NFL season is always kind of like that buildup, like, Hey, nobody take a vacation in these two weeks. It, it kind of feels like that right now. There's a ton of excitement. There's just so, so much possibility for the company. You know, the idea of a single day in October having the NBA Finals, the MLB Playoffs, the NHL Finals, and NFL Sunday, right? Like, that's so cool. And, then, you know, obviously, nobody, nobody wants this pandemic to continue to, for it to have happened. But the fact that we might be able to get the sporting calendar all back and we might be able to kind of you know, just enjoy it because all of us are fans as well is, is really exciting. But yeah, a whole lot of work to be done, especially on kind of the customer attention side, really thinking about paid media there uh, much more than we usually do. So extremely excited for, for things to come back. And there's a whole lot more competition actually than, than when we went into quarantine. So it'll be interesting. Yeah, I mean, we're getting all sports back at the same time. It's, it's a bit crazy. It'll be interesting to see how we can consume all these sports from our still quarantine couches. And it, it looks like it's going to be, hopefully, cross our fingers, an exciting fall. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. I mean, I think that, I think that right, like, for us, we just want to be able to offer, you know, everything that we, that, that we always do when it comes to kind of being that, like, little entertainment boost in the sporting experience, but hopefully it can do even a little bit more, right? And, and, and we're trying to do so in the most kind of responsible and, and fun way as well, given the circumstances. So hopefully just be a little bit a part of sports coming back. Because honestly, I do think, and I'm biased, but I do think sports coming back is a huge morale boost. Absolutely. And it's going to give us, it's going to give us some, just something to watch, you know, there's a, there's actually going to be a, a double problem with the fall television schedule because they haven't been able to shoot any of the new seasons of the shows that we love. So, you know, they're buying all these shows from other, other platforms and, and other countries and things like that, but it's just not going to be the same. So it's going to really be good. I think for advertisers in general, for the, for the live event, opportunity because there's going to be a lot more people I think watching live events than ever before and and hopefully the fall will be a unique and interesting time for all of us yeah 100 percent
Well, thank you very much. Our time is up, Alex. Thanks again for being on the Hidden Layers podcast. We really appreciate it. Thanks to all the listeners out there. Uh, this year has been interesting and we're getting more and more marketers like Alex to come on the show and talk about how machine learning technology and now COVID is affecting their businesses. So stay tuned for our next podcast. Thanks, everybody.